Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast. This is episode 21 on call-in. Dems turn on Biden. Deborah Messing is among the several Biden supporters that have turned on Joe Biden. Biden staff members are saying Biden has no plan. What are your thoughts? So I want to go ahead and dive into this. Um, there's been a lot that has come out over the past couple of days about Joe Biden just not being present. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. And now we have celebrities that heavily supported Joe Biden that said that he was the better option to go with instead of Bernie Sanders. And now those celebrities are also starting to turn on Joe Biden, so to speak. They're starting to realize that maybe this wasn't a good idea after all, that Joe Biden is not really doing anything to help the American people in a time where we all really could use a lot of help. Um, that being said, you do still have some politicians like Rokana still back in Joe Biden. I'll be discussing that later on tonight as well. But even more recently, Bakari Sellers has come out to speak out against Joe Biden as well. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. Feel free to call in because this is something that I think is a really telling moment for the Democratic Party. I don't think I've seen this happen before in my lifetime where you have people that are a part of the Democratic Party that are speaking out publicly uh, about their disappointment with the president. I could be wrong. Please co uh, correct me if you if you know. Um, but I'm even thinking back to Barack Obama. I don't remember them coming forward like this and they're coming forward, but they're doing so somewhat discreetly. They're not showing their faces. I'm going to show a phone call that happened earlier. I'm going to show that tonight on the live stream of Congress members who are speaking out about Joe Biden. So this is a problem for the Democratic Party. I'm going to go ahead and take some calls if you guys, if someone wants to call in. This is a big problem for them, though, because they are going into the midterms. We're about to go into November. It'll be here before you know it. We already know that the Democratic Party is most likely going to lose the House and maybe the Senate in November if things don't turn around for them. And now you have people with large platforms, celebrities that have millions and millions of followers expressing their anger and frustration. And I think most of this has to do with the fact that Roe v. Wade was overturned. That's when I started to see more people speaking out against Joe Biden. But I think people are just tired. I think people, in some respects, are also disappointed with Joe Biden, um, embarrassed because they told people to support him. They told people to you know, vote for him because he would be the one that could, that could work across the aisle with Republicans. And that's not happening either, at least not on the national level, maybe locally, because we just saw that Joe Biden made an agreement with Mitch McConnell to appoint a conservative anti-abortion judge locally. So it seems to to work 
that way, but obviously it's not working on a national scale. So I think it's a very telling moment. I think that if you have someone like Deborah Messing, who was heavily against Bernie Sanders, I remember this very much like it was yesterday. She didn't think that Bernie Sanders was going to be a good idea because she said that he would not be able to work across the aisle. And here we have Joe Biden, who's still not able to work across the aisle. And there seems to be no plan in place, at least from him, in reference to what the next steps are about Roe v. Wade. So it just seems like to me, you know, it's it's a failed presidency. I know it's not over, but where do you go from here? So I want to hear from you guys. So feel free to call in. I'm kind of just winging it today, you guys. I've had a busy, busy week. Um, looks like we got Ashura here. So I'll go ahead and put you on the mic. Hey, Sabby. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Um, I just have one thing to say. I don't know if you saw this. I heard, um, I see that Boris Johnson has resigned. Yes, I'm talking about that tonight. Yeah, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, he's resigning, but then he stayed. I mean, if you're resigning, go. Why stay? That makes no sense. Well, I'm going to get into more details about that tonight. Like, he has okay. agreed to resign. He did give a speech earlier today. Um, I will also say, though, one thing to keep in mind, there was a lot of pressure put on him to resign. <clears throat> And what I would like to see, the way that, that they had 50... Was they that had from the people or the politicians? That was from the politicians and the people. But it was ultimately oh. the pressure from the politicians that forced his hand. Because when you have 50 people in the parliament resign because they don't want to work with Boris Johnson anymore, that really sends a strong message. This is the most people that the parliament has had resign in a 24-hour period. So this is kind of historical in a sense of what I would like to see, though. Why can't we have that happen with our government? I would like to see 50 congressmen and women say, you know what, Joe Biden, you're doing a piss poor job. We're walking out. That is something that would really force Joe Biden's hand, because that's another strategy that could be used to get the president to do what he needs to do for the American people. Well, they're, they're, they're secretly trying to get rid of him. I mean, you have them coming out now saying maybe Joe Biden needs to go away or through articles, CNN. I'm like, you're starting to see it right now because I'm pretty sure a lot of people, um, do not want to hear it's Putin's war. It's Putin's ga gas hike. People know Putin is not controlling the United States. Putin's all over, over, over there in Russia. How is he controlling the states? Putin's not president. Biden's not a Putin puppet. So how is it Putin's war? <laughs> and I think people are like, they're like, nigga, please, we know you're in charge. It's your war. It's not Putin's war. It's your war. <laughs> I know. It's no, it's true. It's your it's gas true. hike. It's you. It, it's not Putin who got rid of Roe v. Wade. We didn't kind of buy Roe v. Wade. <laughs> no, it's true. And then also, too, I think... More people are thinking back to the fact that we were lied to about the Iraq war. And yeah. people are skeptical like this time around, which I don't blame them. Like people see that the grocery store prices have increased. 
people see people talk about the gas prices, but food. So even for people who don't have a car, they don't have to drive. You have the high prices of food. I wonder how Uber and Lyft drivers are doing right now because they have to keep putting gas into their car. That's their job. Well, that's the thing, Savvy. Everything comes back to Putin. Oh, oh it's, yeah, it's like every yeah, it's like everything comes back to Putin at the end of the day because that that's what they want to run on. Uh, on Roe v. Wade, I mean, I mean, I, I see all these celebrities basically crying over it. I'm, I'm like, really? Where were you when people told you to hold your vote? Didn't you shame people saying not to not to hold your vote? Don't let Trump win a second term. Yeah. Now, now they're crying. Uh, I, I also uh, sent a super chat to Jimmy because I, I want to see which one of you is going to have the hose be no insurance out. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know which of you two. So I basically sent a super chat. I want to see you guys put out the shirts before Savvy. <laughs> if they ever put that shirt out, the hose be no one. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That was hilarious. I just. Yeah. Oh. We, we, you know, we, we got rid of Trump and we got Joe Biden and we still lost Roe v. Wade. I mean, did you really get rid of Donald Trump? I mean, you, you got the left, you got the center left version of center right version of Donald Trump. I mean, you never <laughs> really got rid of him. It's like Boris Johnson. I look at him and his hair is like, he's like, he's like an unquaffed Donald Trump. Cause you know how Donald Trump likes to keep his hair knit. Boris Johnson, he does not. So I guess in this one, basically did the right thing. Even the parties did the right thing, saying we don't want this guy. Uh, have you seen also the videos of um, what the Europeans are doing to the cops? They're putting shit and just throwing in their faces. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, saw them, I saw them put a machine the way they put their grains and that smashes the grains into bits. And you had them put shit in there, and they were spraying it like fucking raining over the cops. The cops still stood still and take the shit right in their mouths. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I don't think their police force is as heavily militarized as our police force. But still, that tells you something about the people. They're not afraid. They're they're rising up like they're like, no, we're not going to put up with this. They don't care if they're a police officer or not. They're like, we're, we will not be treated this way. And I'm going to talk about the farmer strike that's going on over there as well tonight, how they just basically said, look, we're stopping production. Yeah. So until you you do right by us, we're stopping production. We talked about this last year. We talked about general strike, general strike summit, and people looked at us and like, ha ha ha, are you crazy? But look at what's happening abroad. Like they have more guts than us. Yeah, because that reminds me of what happened in the the trucker protest. Even though, regardless, what people didn't like what they were saying, is they they shut the country down. They shut the country down to the point where people were complaining. And, and I was watching Jimmy last night and you saw the same complaints about them going about the farmers. Oh, uh, the, the, they're saying, oh, my God, you're going to ruin people's lives. But oh, we, we accept that you protest, but you're ruining my life right now. And well, I get And here's the thing. What can they do? Right. They can't they can't make you go to work. So that's that's the thing. Like, this is what we were talking about before. Like, if we really want to, like, make a big impact, we need to shut things down. If if that means you have to shut down roads, you have to shut down production. Transportation is a big one. I mean, that's how you really make yourself heard. And, and I feel like in Europe, like they get that. They realize, like, look, 
the government would be nothing. This country would be nothing without the workers. So they're standing up to the establishment. And I wish we could people were more willing to stand up to the establishment here. But I feel like Americans, for the most part, are not brave. I feel like a lot of people here are afraid and scared and don't want to get out and fight. Yeah, but I wonder if the government's going to turn on them soon, because even if they put up a brave, brave face, are they going to turn on them like the truckers? They did on the truckers by seizing their assets, basically arresting them. I wonder if that's going to happen, if that's going to make people even more come out. Mm, that's so that's anyways, a good question. Yeah. So anyways, I'm going to end my call here. Just uh, let the other callers come in. All right. Thanks so much for calling in, Ashura. Okay. And I'm going to bring in Eric. You are the next caller. Hey, Sabi, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Good, good. <clears throat> um, at this point, are we sure Biden even knows where he's at? <laughs> like, to, it's just like it's just like Biden staff members are saying that Biden has no plan. I'm like. Okay, in other news, water's wet. I mean, like, he was literally picked as the anti-Trump candidate. Yeah. Not not many people really gave a fuck about him having a plan. But anyway, it's embarrassing um, to the rest yeah. of the world. Yeah, and it also it also goes to show something else too: how dangerously miseducated and uneducated our country actually is. And yeah, it's just it's it's just like you like like I said like a lot of a lot of other black people lined up like we got we gotta get Biden we gotta get Biden a lot of these a lot of these elders I'm sitting there look, looking looking at my own elders like okay and then watch nothing change just watch just watch nothing change in fact it's worse. I feel like um, my dad, I was talking to my dad about this recently and my dad was telling me, he said, the dam has broken. The dam has broken. And I think people have reached a breaking point because now you're messing with people's economic situation. You're messing with people's finances. And, and some of these employers, they're still short staff. So they're still overworking the workers that they have. And this is why more people are saying, like, no, we're trying to form a union. You saw they just formed the first one for Apple yeah. in Maryland. So this is something that I would like to see continue. But uh, I know you're also a teacher. And yeah. I just saw something. Uh, shout out to Eric, um, because uh, Eric Thomas, not uh, you, Eric, but shout out to you, too. But uh, Eric sent me something in Discord earlier about teachers quitting in Florida. <laughs> well, it was bound to happen. <laughs> yeah, like there is definitely for people who are not aware, teachers are quitting in the United States in droves. Like this is I'm not even exaggerating. The, people are no, fed it, up. Yeah, it's like the teacher shortage is even worse. Like it was already bad before, but with this whole CRT bullshit, with all this um, using us as political props and whatnot, it's, 
largest teachers union, Florida, is 9,000 teachers short. God damn. Yeah. It's like, this is real. This is real life, people. And these kind of things need to happen. And I know, like, people say, well, what about the students? You know, I used to say that, too. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, the students were awesome. They were amazing. But at some point, I had to tell myself, you know what? I have to say, what about me? And that's not being selfish. You have to take care of yourself as well. And if you're being mistreated at work, if you're being overworked, at some point, you have to look out for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-care is important. Um, there's a difference between being minded about your own physical health versus being selfish and self-centered. And, and, and yeah, it's just, it's just myself, I haven't taken a single day off um, this school year. Well, outside of, of, of a family thing. But... But yeah, but yeah, it's like okay, you you did all this shit to teachers, and now you're surprised that a lot of us are leaving. You already told, right. I mean, you already told us you don't trust us. You're That's right. What, you're teaching our children how to hate each other based on skin color. Uh, no. <laughs> what, where are you getting this from? And not even just that, but the COVID requirements that I'm not sure if everyone is aware of this, but for my friends that were teaching in K through 12, at least here in Boston, they were requiring them to still come to the school, teach in an empty classroom while all the students were sitting at home and they were learning remotely. Yeah. That didn't make any sense. They required that of me too. Um, Except we had we had some of ours come in, so Florida was that weird state. Of course, it's us. We're weird, um, and, and it just it just goes. It's, it's just going to show like what Richard Wolf was saying again was right. Why did you not go to an individual tutor method, tutor model method? Why did you not go to focus your class sizes smaller, have a smaller class size? Why did you not hire more teachers? Yeah. Why did you not have contact tracing met- methods in place in schools? Why did you not, you know? That's right. That's right. You know, I interviewed Richard Wolf last year and he predicted that this year would be worse. He predicted this. He said financially, he said, oh, America's on the way down. He said, like, you know, you, the, the, the strong, I guess, economic days of America are done. He predicted this last year. And he said, like, yeah, people are going through difficult times now because of the pandemic. But he said, but we are never going to get back to the point that we were. Um, and it's been steadily declining over time, apparently. And, you know, some of this goes back to Reaganomics about this whole that whole belief during the 80s that the wealth at the top was supposed to trickle down, which it never trickled down. And you can see the difference in the workplace, because I remember my dad telling me it used to be. Back in early 80s, even 70s. Companies, some companies used to give employees a company car. Employees automatically got a pension and they would stay with that company pretty much until it was time for them to retire. 
That doesn't happen anymore. You know why? Because in order for people to make more money, at least in higher ed, this is how it was in my field, you have to switch jobs. You have to switch employers. That's actually how you get that increase because they're not promoting people. So you can either stay in the same position and make, you know, barely make enough to get by for four or five years, or you can stay there for one year, which is what a lot of uh, my generation, millennials and Gen Z have done. You stay there for one year, you get that one year on your resume, and then you go to another employer because otherwise you're not going to get that increase that you need. And I'm talking a significant increase. I'm not talking about like a 2% raise. If you want to get that increase, you have to hop around. So when I hear like a lot of, this mainly come from uh, elders. When I hear a lot of elders say, oh, these young kids today, they don't want to stay in a job. They just, they switch jobs every time and you can't rely on them to be around. And I have to explain to them, well, there's a reason for that. Is not necessarily that they don't like the job or they don't like you. They have to keep up with the cost of living and the raises that you're giving them does not keep up with the cost of living. Plus, you have student loan debt, so they have to hop around. That's how they get promoted and that's how they get a pay increase. Also, let me add to that, Sabbath, too, and say to those same elders, you motherfuckers are part of the reason why this is like this. Like. How the, how the fuck? How do you how do you get away with saying this shit when you all played a role in this being like this? That's right. It's, I mean, it's, it's just it's just like our it's just like back back with again our issues with with black elders. It's like what the fuck? Wake up. Because one day I'm going to have to say to my younger students at some point, and I don't want this day to come, I'm going to have to say to them, either either you are to look your others in the face and say, either you're with me or fuck off. Like, what like what, what you expect me to say? That's right. I mean, a pandemic shouldn't have had to happen for employers to say, okay, we're going to create more positions so that people can get some type of, of promotion. That shouldn't have had to happen. That should have been happening regardless. And one of the things I've noticed, too, part of the reason why I know I couldn't move up much in higher ed is because you had people in those positions that were past retirement age and they would not retire. So they would hold on to those positions. I'm talking Jeez. they could be in their 80s, hold on to the position. So those the people who came in in the entry level roles, we couldn't move up unless you went to university it, damn people don't understand how, how how class works people don't understand how our, our class society and no and speaking of um funny story so now i i told you i teach in florida right so apparently we had our end of the year reviews and whatnot and I was actually let go, but here's the fun part. I got brought, I got reconsidered within a day or so. I'm like, huh, I guess you all kind of fucked up when you looked at my first three years and saw, okay, um, he got let go right before COVID. Two, his last, like the year we actually had COVID, like we were doing all the, 
all the like smaller crossword size and everything. That was his second year. And then my third year was this past year. So how the fuck was I really supposed to learn anything? Right. Well, they don't, they say it's expendable until they're short staffed. Then all of a sudden they want to do, to do what they can to keep us. Um, I, I went it's, as well. They were trying to say, we sent out this survey. Um, if, if we uh, took away remote work, would you stay at BU? The majority of people said no. I mean, it's just like, what do, what do they expect? And they brought us back anyway. They brought us back anyway, and then they they left it up to the supervisors and say, you can decide whether or not your employees or your staff can do two days remote or come in. That was a horrible mistake. Make an executive decision and keep the remote work in place. So yes. that's what they lost a lot of people because of that. People are like, I'm not doing this. I am done. It's terrible. And you know who suffers? The students end up suffering because of it. Exactly. I can't, I can't help but think of those words from Richard Wolf. I can't help but think democratize the enterprise. <laughs> I can't help but have that come in my mind right now. That's right. And I think we need to focus more on building worker co-ops. Unions, don't get me wrong, like the employees right now that are unionizing, I think that's great. I think we also need to focus on worker co-ops. That way you own a piece of it. Even though you're you're forming a union, that's great. But these worker co-ops is really the way to go. I know Roger Meadows talks a lot about this because he's a part of one in New York City. It's a ride share. That's a worker co-op. That's really the that's what we should be looking at. And I think we we should put more attention on that and not just the unions. Yeah. Um. I'll probably get off get off uh, real quick, but I'll put a link in in uh, the chat. Um, for um, uh, Professor Nephard's book on uh, the history of black cooperative economics, too. So anybody wants to look at that if they get a chance. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. Not a problem. Okay. Looks like Colin is the next caller, so you just got to unmute. Hey, Savvy. How you doing? Hey, Colin. Um, so. I want to get to Deborah Messing first and then kind of talk about something else. But, you know, actually, I have a question for you. How was it that Deborah was able to have that access to the White House where she was able to vent her grievances to Biden? Celebrities can do that. Um, Ice Cube did that as well. I don't know if everyone remembers, but right before the 2020 elections, Ice Cube reached out to Biden administration and to Trump administration about the contract for Black America. And Ice Cube said that the one that said we can sit down and talk was the Trump administration. The Biden administration said, well, we'll, we'll, look, we'll look at this again after January, after we win. And that never happened. So celebrities, they have agents, they have people that have those inside contacts where they can get those types of meetings. Uh, but us, uh, us poor little folk out here, uh, <laughs> right? We, we, we can't get that access. It's right. I mean, that's the point, you know, it's just the idea of like the celebrity will get you access 
to people in government, but the little people like us, we don't have that kind of access. And then even like in the CNN article that you read, you know, like the tone was fatalistic, you know, like it was okay for her and others on that call to be fatalistic. But when we are criticizing the government, we're called nihilist. Also, right. You know, so it's okay for them to feel that way, but it's not okay for us to feel that way. But yeah, I just wanted to bring up that point. But also, um, like I was talking with Indy um, about an hour ago about this issue too, because I had the Bank Sisters on INN News last night uh, for them to share about Camp Dada. And I think... You know, it's amazing. Like, I love, and I think especially since they and others who are trying to do grassroots efforts, you know, to try and connect people to think about organizing, all that kind of stuff, and how much, especially those two have been smeared, you know, like, I think it's just really upsetting, you know, just in terms, especially being that they're Black women, and they're being smeared in trying to, connect people to think about how we can organize in the future, you know, but I was just sharing with this idea with Indy, you know, earlier, but just thinking in terms of like for, for them, especially like who are trying to do this, like we can't just kind of keep doing all these mobilization efforts. I think it's good but I don't want to spend my life and I don't think we should spend our lives kind of doing like this thing here or this thing here or this thing here and not have it kind of build upon a larger coalition of strategy to push policy, if that makes any sense. And, and I think especially on the left, I don't think we've had the opportunity to have those conversations in terms of like, and I know like you've highlighted Kashama Sawan in what she's been able to do through Socialist Alternative. And I really have bought into that in light of what, you know, also like Kwame Ture and others in the past have said in terms of organizing, like, like as Kwame Ture said, like organizing is eternal, meaning it's a long-term thing. And and we're not necessarily having those discussions as far as long-term, what we should be doing, how we should be organizing, how we should be strategizing, you know, especially knowing, like, people are going to come in and try and infiltrate, you know, like, we should be prepared for that, you know, for those circumstances. And thinking in terms of, like, Roe v. Wade, you know, thinking about the organization arm that made that happen, that was the white evangelical church. That's right. You know, you know, like, and they're not big. You know, they are very small, but very loud. But look at how organized they have been over the past 50 years to be able to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I think we've talked about the black church, I think, but it's kind of funny that the white church has been able to do that over the course of, and how little the black church has been able to do since, um, you know, MLK and Malcolm X. Like that, I think is another discussion for another day, but you can kind of make that distinction there. 
but I think what we really need to do, I think especially given the state that we're at right now, um, is I think we really need to kind of center back and kind of look at history and look at organizers in the past and see what they were able to do and figure out how can we remix a lot of their practices to be able to apply to what we're up against now um, and kind of go from there. Because here in the Bank Sisters yesterday, I don't want their work to go in vain. Like, I don't want these like mobilization efforts to go in vain. And I think, you know, and I think this might be the opportunity for us to really center around, like, what is our strategy moving forward? And, like, in the style of what Socialist Alternative has done, and I think what you've mentioned, Case has mentioned, you know, in terms of, like, any politician, you know, there should be an arm where there's a mutual aid um, component to it. I think that's something we really need to explore and what that can look like. But, but I think, like, you know, I think these are conversations that we need to be having, but I think a lot of it is we have to study. And, you know, and it's not, and I'm going to um, use Anna Kasparian's uh, uh, framing here. It's not sexy to do that, you know, but I think a lot of it is in school, they're not teaching us about all this kind of stuff that's happened in the past. Or if they do, they'll talk about it up into a point, you know? Right. So we really need to have the fullness of what these leaders in the past have done that we can kind of learn from, you know? And, like, I just bought Kwame Ture's autobiography, and, like, I didn't know it was going to be over a 1,000 pages, so it's going to take me a few minutes to get through it all. But I've really been curious to kind of see, like, what he was saying and hearing what Kashan Sawan has really said. I think those, there's a lot of connections that what both of them have said in terms of, like, movements, people come from organization movements. And so we really need to talk about what that look can look like um, as nonpartisan um, that is connected with people on the ground, but then, like, who are the leaders can arise from that that can kind of be the spokesperson for, like, policy. And I think we have the opportunity to do that now, especially since... We're not going to get anywhere at this point, given what's happening in government right now. So it might be the time that we kind of fall back a bit and kind of focus on that and kind of figure out what our strategy is moving forward in terms of thinking of a long-term plan, thinking like these short-term events that, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, then what? Type thing. Right. So I think, I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that's a really good point. One of the things that I've been working on is I'm trying to get in touch with people that were a part of the civil rights movement, that mm-hmm. were actually civil rights activists, to pick their brain to find out how they did it. Because you can read about the protests and the march and the sit-ins, but it doesn't tell you how they had this, the strategy that they had. It doesn't tell you how they actually did it. And I want people to think about this for a second. Civil rights activists, they're still alive. Yeah. Some of them have passed away, but this was not that long ago. 
Right. And so I feel like those are the people we really should be reaching out to, to pick their brain and ask them, how did you do it? How were right. you successful? What were the steps? What was the planning like? Like to, to get in touch with them. So that's something that I'm working on. I do know, and I saw this, my sister brought this to my attention. The, um, I, this is a bad show to mention, but it just is what it is. The Real Housewives of Atlanta, my sister brought to my attention that uh, Portia, I think she, she was a previous yeah. cast member. I don't think she's on there anymore. Yeah. For those who aren't aware, her grandmother was a civil rights right. activist. She participated with Martin Luther King and, and all of them. Her grandfather was a civil yeah. rights activist, and she's still doing the work. She runs some type of food uh, pantry in Georgia. Yeah. And it's, I think it's the largest she, one. Like, Portia was really heavy, like, in the George Floyd protest two years ago. So it's good that you mentioned that. I'm actually going to visit my dad in Barbados, not for a good reason, but I'm going to visit him next week. But he was involved in the civil rights movement in the UK. And so one of the things I hope to do is kind of pick his brain, too. And, and like, actually, when the protests were going on uh, two summers ago, he was actually telling me, you know, like, I can't necessarily give all the information that he told me to do in fear I don't like anyone to get in trouble. But he was like, when you go, this is the things that you should do. Carry this stuff with you and all that kind of stuff with you, just in case the cops mess with you and all that kind of stuff. My dad lived through this, like, in his 20s. And so, like, but I think you're right. I think, like, those... As, uh, like our families, you know, people that we know within the community, like we really need to invest that time and talk to them about what they did, you know, especially since for many of them, once they're gone, we lose that information. So like having the opportunity to ask them, like, what did you do and get more specific so that we can learn from that and kind of build like kind of figure out strategy moving forward because right now we're just kind of moving around aimlessly and and I don't want us to necessarily do this thing here and this thing here and this thing here for years and not have an amount to anything. I think that's a waste of time and a waste of resources. Um, so, and I think especially among the Black community, we have that hidden history there that we need to capitalize on that we should be using. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, what the bank sisters are, are doing. Um, that is going to be, you know, I think that's, it's a great idea. I'm involved with that as well. So I'll be there uh, for Camp Data as well. And I think that, you know, <sighs> kudos to you for saying, you know, what you said about them being black women in this space. It, it's a problem. You know, I talked to them yesterday about this actually. Um, and I think it's like the elephant in the room. Obviously, there's not a lot of black people in this space. There's very right. few and there's very few black women and black women in this space. I can tell you from my own experience, oftentimes we are ignored. Right. And so I think that thank you so much for having them on. Um, I, we really need to get this message out to as many people as possible. And I really wish that people who had some of these larger uh, channels we're bringing them on to promote this event as well. And right. so what we're going to have to do is we're really going to have to focus on the people who really want to be involved, because I can tell you from my experience being in this space, a lot of these people, they just want to be media personalities. 
They told us to go out and fight to get people elected. But when it comes to, I'm talking like more direct action, getting out in the streets, uh, mutual aid, things like that, they don't want to do it. They're too lazy. I'm sorry, they're too lazy. I've had these discussions over and over with them. So I think that we need to focus on the people that really do want to do it. Right. But I think in connection with that, as I said, we need to think long-term strategy too. Like the two have to be connected. Like, and thinking about like, Something like Hemp Dada, for example, like if it continue, how can they get bigger? How can they like move, like how can they increase funding so that, you know, but have it lead to larger conversations as far as strategy and mobilizing and organizing, you know, down the road, you know? So, but yeah, I mean, and I felt bad for them because they're just trying to do, and they, and I asked them like, what, what keeps you going and it's like you know just talking from you know their circumstances and just in life like this is what they've raised to do and it kind of it's sad it saddens me that there are people who you know like they're asking you know like oh you need to show your receipts as far as what you're doing and all this kind of stuff and like and i call this on twitter you know like the democrats raised 80 million towards Abortion rights. How much of their money is going to go towards abortion pl- clinics? Very little, probably not. That's right. You see, but you don't see these same people asking the Democratic Party, you know, for their receipts for that. That's They're going to right. ask like Joy for Marsha Medicare for all the bank sisters, you know, for their receipts. I don't have a problem. There, these people are Democrat operatives. Like, I'm sorry. Right. No, <laughs> like. I mean, I don't mind asking, but keep it consistent. You know, if you're going to do that, ask the people in your party, too, for the same thing. Um, Right. But, yeah. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. But I I, I think it was easy because I actually wanted to message you this idea. I think just maybe if we had a summit or something that we're able to kind of talk about this issue um but at some point but i think we definitely need to figure out moving forward long term what the end goal should be and how do we get there that's not connected to a politician that's not connected to you know like any one issue per se but like the idea of like we need to take out the system you know and what is that going to look like and how can we form a coalition around that that we can build a mass grassroots uh, organization arm that collect, that can pull you know as far as leadership from there and kind of go from there. You know, those are the conversations that I would like us to start having. Thanks so much, Colin. Very good points. No Definitely, like well said. I'm going to go ahead and take uh, Brady here. You are the next caller. You just have to hit the unmute button there. Savvy Dabby Doo, thank you so much for doing this for us. Um, I appreciate it. You're our hero. I don't have a lot of money, but what's the best way to send you $1? Um, I have, you can do so through um, PayPal. I, I have a PayPal link under all my videos. 
All right, cool. There's a whole bunch of links we'll there. We'll do it that way. Well, if everyone sends you $1, we can give you a good dinner for doing this. I appreciate it. And one thing I can give you as well is just a vocabulary term that I invented is Donald worshiper. Instead of calling them Trump supporters, I think we should call them Donald worshipers because of the phonetic proximity to devil worshiper. They really don't like it. It's a fun one, and it rolls off the tongue if you call them Donald worshipers. And the point that I wanted to make was that I live in Texas, and the only reason I, jo I voted for Joe Biden was to protect women's rights. And admittedly, a little bit of peer pressure um, caused me to vote for Joe Biden. Um, I would have voted green otherwise. Um, and the other point, last point I wanted to make was that um, I think a lot of our time is wasted focusing on Joe Biden and Donald Trump. These guys, these are the fall guys. These are the guys we're supposed to be upset at. I think we would do better to focus our attention on central intelligence. And I'm constantly referencing an episode you recently did about um, Brianna, Gray, Brianna Joy Gray and Kim Iverson having that debate and the R. Kelly episode. And you had a segment where Chris Hedges named the names of a lot of people in the uh, Ghislaine Maxwell that weren't named in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. And I constantly reference that clip. And so I really appreciate that. And that's why I want to give you a dollar. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate Chris mentioning those names uh, because I think that a lot of people look at those people and they see them as humanitarians, especially someone like Bill Gates, per se. They see them as uh, philanthropists, people who are out there doing good work. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, everyone has... Ready to play. If you want me to, I could play that clip real quick so we have it on the record again. Sure, go ahead. Here it comes, it's straight from your show. Thank you so much. Yeah, shout out to Chris Hedges because he really let that one rip. All right, Lance, I'm going to make you the next caller. You just have to unmute. Hey, Savvy, let me uh, just echo, you know, you just you really are the best. You're the only one really delving into the class thing in deep detail. I'm not. Oh, Lance, um, I think you're breaking up a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. I tried to subscribe. Hack. And in, in fact, can you hear me now? Okay, you're better now. Okay. Yeah, and I tried to subscribe, and it wouldn't go through on your subscription thing. And then all of a sudden, my card got hacked, and I had to get a new card. It happened again a few weeks later, like just yesterday, two days ago. And it was a $40 suspicious purchase, uh, useful idiots. I called into Katie's show, told her about that, like, is this something that's going on? So that was weird. 
So I've had to get like my third card, my second new card in a month trying to uh, do subscriptions and getting uh, my card hacked. That's weird. Um, I actually, that's so funny that you said that because it was just last week. I had a suspicious charge on my card and I had to call in and I told them, I was like, yeah, I don't know what this item is, but, uh, I didn't make this purchase. And they were like, are you sure? I'm like, I think I would remember spending 150 bucks. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're good. My, my uh, credit union is very good at, I don't do much uh, online. I a couple hundred dollars every few weeks and very, very the same, the same three stores that are grocery stores near me. That's it. I don't do much, you know, online shopping, any of that. So they flag things for me and tell me and block my card, which is good that they do that. And they don't really question when I uh, highlight after I get a printout, I'll do the highlighting and they trust the ones that I say are bogus, but not to dwell on that. But I thought I'd mention in case it's happening to other folks, you know, Oh, but yeah, you know, brilliant minds think alike, they say. And I was listening to the uh, the original Katie Halper, Richard Wolf thing, and then your highlight of that, and then the call in that she did. And I actually <laughs> talked to her about the Second Amendment thing and the disagreement with Chris Hedges, but that's a separate story. She's great. I love Richard Wolf. He could be my uh, Treasury Secretary. But there's something about reaching. And the very first time I spoke with you, it was about reaching across whatever the topic was. It was about reaching across the aisle. Literally 50 out of 50 signs in 2020 were Trump signs. Maybe you'd have to go 98 out of a hundred, you know, and that was just the way it was, you know? And so, uh, but, but I talked to these folks and I challenge them. I had my car towed into the city once we had a half hour back and forth, you know, challenging each other, really getting into it. It's like, man, you know, yeah. And we shook hands at the end, you know, it wasn't fine. But there's another flip side to this that I want to really drill down on that on the left. And, you know, they just won't work with anybody on the right. That's just crazy. But there's a lot of like I and I picked up on this on some of the you know black conservative networks. I don't always agree with them on a lot of things, a lot of things. But they talk about like there's there's black entrepreneurs, even just regular middle class, not rich folks who don't want socialism. They just don't. They're intelligent, college educated, and they're capitalists. And there's a lot of them, uh, you know, in number, maybe not as a percentage, you see, but they're the movers and shakers, some of them in the neighborhoods. They're not out there saying, you know, let's do socialism. Let's Bernie Sanders, even though I'm fully aware that many of the true hardcore socialist stuff and CRT is great. Those are black motivated, black socialists, just like Eastern Europeans and different other groups that tend to have a real affinity or, you know, and are some of the most powerful movements were black socialist, communist movements. Absolutely. But not everybody's on board with that. So there's another reaching across the aisle. How about bringing on folks who want to help their folks, their people? Who, and here's let me use the analogy. Back in the 30s and 40s, well, in the 40s, there were these really popular movies called Mon Pa Kettle. I mean, they were number one box office and they lived in like Appalachia. Every plot was the same. It was a formula. The revenue or somebody from Washington with a suit and tie was coming in to tell them how wonderful government's going to take care of them. So we're going to tax your moonshine. They weren't happy and they bring out the shotguns the whole bit. Now, FDR had to pay for all those wonderful programs. So, yeah, to a certain extent, it was a misunderstanding. It's like, yes, but you're going to have electricity for the first time. We're going to spend all this money and we're going to electrify places that would never be worth it for the utilities. We're going to have phone service where it never would be, you know, uh, available uh, through Ma Bell. All that stuff was great, but people didn't necessarily understand how wonderful it was going to be. And in some cases disagreed with it, you know. And so t the Tennessee Valley Authority which started from Hoover helping people in flooding. And we thought, gee, we can really do great. That's the biggest social social welfare program where they just spent bazillions of dollars at no profit the government did to, you know, to construct the TVA 
so that we could have free or cheap electrical. I mean, that was a, a to this day one of the biggest social work programs, in, at least in this country, ever. But there's such a, a a mismatch from. I'm sorry, people like Richard Wolf, who, unlike Chris Hedges, I think hasn't lived it enough, even though he's on board with all these things. But I try to. I listen to him and I say, you know, there's a lot of folks that just aren't going to agree that after all these years of getting screwed, like you pointed out so you know beautifully about the fdr program yeah except black people yeah you could talk about needing the southern uh southern democratic races but it was beyond that and all the redlining that happened you know these people are like they believe it or not might agree with ronald reagan not that these folks are reaganites they're uh, you know whatever but i'm saying that i'm i'm here from the government i'm here to help you these people are like no because even when you put together good programs we got screwed whether it was a great society program you gave us a social welfare net then you destroyed our neighborhoods no, we don't want the government. We don't ever want the government. You know what I mean? Don't you think there's a, I'd love your response to that. Don't you think there's a really strong element of, no, we're not going to believe the government, even if it's Bernie Sanders, even if it's the Green Party, which is a bunch of white people with different colored hair to a great extent. Not a lot of black folks in the Green Party that I see as any kind of a big contingent. Socialist Party, I think, might be different, or at least the Socialist Alternative, the DSA, are another one that I don't know what they're all about. But anyway, I'd love your reaction to my little soapbox. Yeah, so I think the big problem is that mainstream media has propagandized African-Americans, just like it's propagandized other groups in this country. I think that after the death of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, there was a shift to neoliberalism. That's why more Black Americans accept capitalism. And this Reverend is Reverend Allen, Reverend Jesse. Yeah. Right. This is something we talk about often on RBN about black capitalists. And that's that's a big that's another hurdle that we have to get around. You know, it it's it's been marketed to the African American community. I still remember, you know, growing up in the nineties and seeing rap videos promote black capitalism. You got to get this car. You got to get this jewelry. You got to get this house. Uh, then there was the term later on black excellence. Uh, you need to be a, a girl boss. Like these things have been pushed and heavily advertised to us. And that's why a lot of people believe that that's what you need to have. And that's where you need to go. Uh, what we have to start doing is we have to educate people, particularly African-American community, about who MLK really was. CJ's yeah. doing a stream right now talking about just that, who he really was. MLK was anti-capitalist. So MLK was a huge threat to the establishment. He didn't just want you know, equal rights for African-Americans. He also wanted a universal basic income. Right. He also wanted reparations paid to African-Americans. He also wanted to unionize the workers. So he right. wanted economic equality as well. And that yeah. was a threat to the establishment and especially to the United States government. Yeah. That was not something that they wanted to happen. So I think we have to continue to educate them. The problem that I've run into, a lot of the people that you're mentioning, a lot of those people have been invited. In fact, a lot of the people that you guys recommend that we invite on, I would say 95% of them have been invited. Wow. And some of them don't want to come on to a show where we're saying the things that we're saying, where we're saying, listen, class is a big issue. The establishment is a problem. Some of them don't want to come on to that kind of show because that can affect them in reference to their brand. 
Some of them you don't. Mean, want you mean you mean well-known black intellectual conservatives? Black capitalists, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just, they necessarily have but, to be conservative, but right. a lot of them they won't come on because of that reason, or they won't come on because it's a smaller platform. Right. It's like the number of times I've reached out to people and they have these forms that you have to fill out to be a guest like on your show. And one of the questions a lot of times is, what is the size of your audience? And I always think to myself, like, why does that matter? Why is why is that important? You know, like I've never I will say, like, I've never been that way. I don't care how many subscribers you have. If you invite one, I'll talk to anyone. But there are people out there who like that. Another thing is that some of those people, you have to, you actually have to pay an honorarium to get them to come on. Some people right. won't come on unless they're paid. And I'm talking $5,000. Right. Not even yeah, just yeah. like a like hundred, like $5,000. They'll only do it if they're paid. And so that's why we, we can't get those people is because of those three hurdles that I just mentioned. But. I would be interested yeah. in talking to anyone. Right, right, right. You know, just one more quick point on that. And I mentioned before what I first called in was what people also realize is that it's not just a special black office. Now you get into the city, like where I'm, you know, where I live. And I try to do my little thing. I work with these people. And actually made a few bucks when I was down, down there uh, doing door-to-door voter registration for 10 bucks an hour. Well, these same folks or friends of mine are uh, college-educated, very, you know, strong, activist black folks, you know, great, great, great people. But they're, they're all, they, you know, they live in a, the same world I live in, and there's so much risk in there. It's not just the CBC. It's like follow the money. They don't think that Clinton's so great in the uh, upper echelons. They just know that's where the money is, and that's where, like, the black pastors, the black uh, business owners, the, the uh, you know, the funeral directors, the people that are the, 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 the community kind of uh, influencers, you know, in the precinct capital for the Democratic Party, they are not preaching anything left to their masses. It's going to have to be a Fred Hampton effort going right down there and saying, no, these people are, these people are on the same team as Clint, uh, as, uh, you know, the conservative Republican capitalist corporate and all that, you know, or not fascist, but you know what I mean, that they're, they're not, they're not, they're not on your side, you know. They'll give you a few crumbs more than the other side. No, they're not fascist, but they're, they're, they're neoliberal, just like the, you know, other folks, uh, you know, so there you go. Uh, but one more quick thing, interesting, right? Bill Maher going on Tucker, and guess what he said? He got they got shamed into it. He said they've asked me a lot, but I wouldn't do ground rules. I wouldn't only talk about stuff they, they agree with. Interesting that he's the only one that said he would do that. The other one said they would only talk, evidently, about stuff that they all agree on. That's what I said before about these people are wonderful. I love these guys, Jimmy Jones and Greenwood. I love, love, love them to death. But reality is what it is. They obviously made agreements that they wouldn't talk about stuff that they disagree with on Tucker's show. And curiously enough, they only defend him uh, and never say anything critical, even on their own show, because they don't want to lose that access. So that's just an interesting thing to like at Arsenio said, things that make you go, hmm. Bill Maher said he won't play by the ground. And he got shamed. They shamed him. They shamed Tucker. Got shamed into having Bill Maher on. But none of the other ones apparently said that they would talk back and they would behave for Tucker. So I had a problem with that. I'm sorry. That's a separate uh, well, issue. Well, no, not, necessar- not necessarily. Because Jimmy Dore went on to Tucker Carlson's show and talked about Julian Assange when Tucker Carlson did not approve of what Julian Assange did. He was not approving of that at that time. 
he convinced well, him. Well, Jimmy Dore didn't make the agreement. Has Jimmy Dore been back on the show? Has Jimmy Dore been back on the show? I totally was not finished talking. The I'm other sorry. thing that was mentioned as well was Medicare for All. That was another one that was heavily pushed when he went on Tucker Carlson's show. So they don't just talk about things that they agree on. I've seen I've seen some of those interviews, not all of them, but I have seen them disagree in certain areas. I also saw the one and I think I talked about this one on my show where it was Tucker today. So this was the the daytime uh, show that he does where he brings guests on and Jimmy Dore was pushing back on him in reference to the $15 minimum wage and what people should be making in this country. So they don't always agree. I stand corrected on Jimmy. I can't speak for Glenn Greenwald. I haven't seen, I know Glenn Greenwald goes on Tucker Carlson, but I haven't seen those segments. Yeah, it, yeah. it's different. It's different. I mean, he says, literally, somebody expect him, give him the actual sound date about Biden only wants people from, uh, you know, brown people coming up, so they would vote, vote obediently to Democrats. Great theory. And he said that Tucker never heard of it. He told me that, and he said that, uh, and he said Tucker does not have a racist bone in his body and doesn't talk about white replacement theory. He even told me that he only watches snippets, but if I only don't watch the whole show, eight to nine, that somehow I'm invalid. Or even if I know that media matters is a total neoliberal propaganda machine, and I, I, I agree with the quotes that they put up when they say Fox did this, Fox did that. I said, I agree with them a lot on Fox, because they do do things that are popular to say things. Oh, well, no, it doesn't matter. You're still getting a brainworm for media matters, and Tucker doesn't have a racist bone in his body, and uh, you don't know, because I sit in the green room. I don't just go on camera, and I talk to him privately, and he's a different mother. No, he's totally... Tucker, not just it's a platform. And this is the hardest thing he said about Tucker was, well, we don't share the same worldview. Yeah, I don't know about that. Like don't I share said, the same worldview seen... of people that are uh, 99. Someone who thinks I'm a smarty, but you just totally fooled me on Jimmy and I take that back. Yeah, look into it. Yeah, the, the, first, the, the first time I saw Jimmy on Tucker Carlson was about Assange. I remember that. And so it. this is why I don't know if everyone here is on Twitter, but this is why I tell you guys, when you see these clips where people will just clip like a certain segment to make it look like someone is doing something and they leave out the parts that actually would argue against what they're showing you, that's being disingenuous. And I've seen people do that, just like, oh, Somebody Jimmy sounds like evil. You know, Glenn Greenwald did a whole thing about how terrible it was that some person did a racist street against Clarence Thomas. I said, Clarence Thomas, Matt Gates, this is who Glenn's been defending exclusively. I, yeah, I don't know what you you want me to do about Glenn Greenwald. I've never met him. Don't it's know. It's a little strange. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm, I'm again, sorry. you got other calls. Yeah. No, not. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know Glenn well, Greenwald. I've never met him. No, no, I know that. But what he says, you know, it's just I don't know. It's just I, I think it's important because he has a big platform. No, no, but the, and I know you don't care about Tucker. You said that, but Tucker Greenwald, Tucker Carlson, and and uh, Steve Bannon are very important to the cleaned up neo-Nazi David Duke types. They're doing things quietly. He's not doing everything on his show. He's having phone calls. 
They're trying to undermine things at the state and local level, Bannon and um, Carlson. It's more dangerous at that level. Not January 6th. That's a circus. That's a, that's a clown show. But what's going on at the local and state level with these intimidation tactics and weeding out people that are quitting because of harassment of their kids and threats? It's crazy. They're doing things to these people that the Supreme Court wants extra protection. There's people at the local level that say, I've been elected for 27 years. I'm done. They're getting all new people in there. And that's what Tucker's up to. So that's what I mean. That it's, I think it's important for that reason. Not just like, hey, I, I showed that some really famous journalist, you know, is, is doing something bad. It's not about that. I could care less. But I think it's something that needs to be looked into. I just think there's something going on that's just a little, not that he's working to who, but why they're being such apologists, like, in a lot, not just him, but on the right. I, it's just a little strange. The enemy of my enemy isn't always, the enemy of your enemy isn't always your friend, you know? But I'll leave it there. Yeah, have you had this, have you, what you just told me, have you called into Bree's show and told her that about Tucker Carlson? Hello? I did, I talked to Glenn, I had about a, you know, the whole, I could send you the whole episode and then tell you what part I'm on the last 10 minutes. No, I'm asking what you just told me about Tucker Carlson. Have you called into Brianna Joy Gray show and told her the same thing? Um, if it came up, yeah, absolutely. I talk about it every single time. Yeah, I talk about that whole strange thing with Glenn every time it, anything comes up. Okay, you know, yeah. because, because yeah. I, yeah, so, I want to be uh, very clear here because I think there is a misunderstanding. I am not pro Tucker Carlson and I never have been. No, no. Okay, so I I just I don't I feel like I don't know I I feel like you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, well, what I just what I'm saying is that there's another layer to it. Your point was before was I don't really listen to Tucker. I don't really care about him. I'm saying I talk about him in the sense of danger, not just not just to point another finger. Oh, look at what else Jones said yesterday. I mean that he's more dangerous because he's got a following of people who are really smart at how to take over the government as neo-Nazis. They know how to do it. Successful. David Duke got on the ballot as a KKK guy. That's why I think it's a more urgent to me. But that's all. No, absolutely, Chevy. I wouldn't have said before that you're my favorite. You're 100% down with the whole taking the scales away from our eyes. Even folks like the wonderful, wonderful, you know, Professor Wolf, maybe sometimes he's saying things I don't have to agree with him and not really dwelling well, down on the plastic. So no, 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 no. I'm just saying that I just, I just happen to have maybe more of a sense of urgency about it than you do, but that's not a disagreement with you somehow supporting right wing whatsoever. Absolutely not. You know. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Lance. Um, I'm going to go to the next caller. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. That Thank is you for me talk. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Do you, you got me now? I got you. Hi. Uh, nice to talk with you. I'm glad to. I'm glad to have this room to have a conversation about the Dems and Biden. Um, a couple of points. Um, old folks not leaving their jobs. These people that are 80 years old and won't retire. Um, I, I, I have an even stronger beef than you. I, I, the people that won't get out of my way by the time those people, the people that are still in power were my age. They were mid career. They won't get out of my way. I'm in my fifties, right? <laughs> so it's not just that they're in your way. They're in my way too. 
I want to make way for people who are younger than me because I'm already past the age where I think somebody should be making decisions that commit this country or the state or wherever you are to all kinds of debt and policies that have long-term effects, you know? So that's the first thing. We don't have an acceptable off-ramp for those folks. If there was, if it was like, let's start a foundation now that I'm out of office, right? But they just go through that lobbying turnstile where they go in and out of office. They become a lobbyist or whatever, because that's where they can make money when it's politician. With academics, where where where's their graceful off-ramp where they can share all of the stuff that they just spent their whole life gathering together in terms of their, you know, their their study. I'm not arguing they shouldn't get out of the way. I think they have no imagination for what they could do after they have a quote-unquote career in whatever situation they're in, whether it's academics or politics or whatever. They just have no imagination for the fact that they could do something else. And here's the thing. If those folks would get out of the way, they could become partners, and then you build a deeper, stronger network of people that have similar policy goals because, you know, there's new ideas coming in and being infused instead of the same old, same old. I think that's a really good point, Amanda. Um, you made a really good point, too, about mid-career positions. That's another one I didn't really think about. But, yeah, it's it's really tough, and I think, I think this may have started after the 08 housing crisis because one of the things I did notice, and I talked about this with Quaker Socialist, she was saying that uh, as a Gen Xer, she said that's when she started running into this problem where she couldn't move up because after the housing crisis, you know, people were afraid. And so they held on to positions. And so even people like her, she couldn't move up. And, and it was just, she said they wouldn't retire. And she's like, dude, just retire already. So I think that's a big part of it. And because that happened, that's actually why, and I don't know if everyone realizes this, that's why now a lot of these entry-level positions require three to five years experience because, which really doesn't make any sense. If you're just getting out of college, how do you have three to five mm-hmm. years experience? Right. But um, that's why they have that requirement because people like Quaker, as a Gen Xer, her coming into position, she had to take entry-level positions because the positions that she was qualified for, those positions were not vacant because people wouldn't retire. So they just made it harder and harder for people to get positions. Right. And and there there is a lot people could do. I mean, that one example is there's an organization in California that's SCORE, um, which is basically retired business people who help nonprofits. And they just like kind of run little clinics and they provide resources, but they're retired people. And they have had a full career of experience and contacts. Think of the kind of networking that could happen if, let's just give as an example, I don't know, Nancy Pelosi stepped aside and Shahid Batar came into office. Think of the kinds of connections she could help him make in that new role. And we'd get an infusion of new ideas. So I think that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to address is the civil rights era. 
folks. So I'm a, I'm a serial podcast listener, and I don't mean by serial podcast listener the podcast serial. I've listened to way too many hours of podcasts, especially over the last couple of years. And so I can't tell you which one it was where I heard it, but they did a very good job of giving a history of how did these movements work, whether it was the bus boycott or, or the strikes um, down in um, uh, Alabama and Mississippi, or whether it was sitting in at lunch counters. Part of what happened was there would be three or four friends that would go in and sit at a lunch counter. They'd find somebody with that had a camera. They'd take a picture. They'd send it in as a press release to the newspaper, hoping the newspaper would publish it. But then they also had their own underground papers that got mailed because it used to be the case. The reason we have the U.S. Postal Service was for mailing periodicals and newspapers so the people of the country could get information. So they had these kinds of um, zines, whatever you want to call them, in the 80s that the punkers and skaters at my high school had their own zine. And, you know, it's paper, so there's no, there's this whole digital footprint issue that, that we have now. Also, there were radio stations that they could command and pirate radio, so they were passing messages along. So there'd be a sit-in this week, and then the word would get around, and then next month there'd be a sit-in of three or four or five people in a different place, and that news would get out. And so it just kept building on itself. So you basically had a series of small flash mobs, and as the understanding of what was happening as a result of those things started spreading just by word of mouth or through churches or whatever kinds of things, you know, that, that that's part of what it was. It wasn't this big, massive organization. It was a bunch of groups of small people, and then word gets out and, and word spreads. And then the last thing I want to say is that direct action, Extinction Rebellion is doing a lot of direct action right now, and uh, the podcast It's Going Down does a lot of um, announcements on actions that are taking place across the country. So I appreciate you having this platform and giving me the time to speak. Thank you so much uh, for telling me about that, Amanda. I was not aware of that. I will definitely check out those podcasts, um, but that was helpful information. Thanks so much. And uh, Derek, you're going to be the last caller here. So you're on the mic. Just have to hit on mute. Yeah, thanks. Um, I appreciate your uh, honesty, intelligence, integrity. Keep up the good work. It's appreciated. Um, I like where you and Colin and uh, Amanda were going with uh, looking to the past, trying to learn some shit, uh, gain some perspective. I, I think that's really important. I think it's um, vital. Um, the 60s, obviously, I think is an important place to look. Um, but I think just as important or maybe more important um, is to take a really dig deep and take a really good look at what inspired those people, the, the leaders of uh, the sixties and, you know, all, all of the organizers that were uh, part of the, those efforts. Um, and to me, that means uh, taking a good hard look at uh, 
the early 1900s, the, pro- the progressive movement or progressive era and the Harlem Renaissance. Um, I think the combination of those two, uh, topics, um, would, uh, help to, uh, both inspire and, uh, sort of, you know, create, uh, a mindset that would be beneficial to what's going on, uh, now even more than, uh, what I think the lessons of the sixties would have to offer, you know, because, um, if we look back at the sixties and we look at what, what these people had to offer, how, how they, how they express themselves, how they organize. I think what we're really doing is we're looking at what they thought was important. Um, sorry, I don't know if the connection's bad. I'm getting feedback. Um, oh, but sorry, I think, let me myself. Yeah, sorry. I don't, I don't know if I got through or, or not. I don't know what's going on. Hello? Yeah, I heard you. I'm just going to mute myself while you talk. Okay. Oh, all right. Sorry. Um, I, th- I think we're, we're seeing, you know, if we look back at the sixties, I think we're seeing, um, you know, like leaders from that time period, uh, kind of like offer their interpretation of what they think needed to be done based on their inspiration that came before them. You know what I mean? Which was, I think, an even more dynamic period in, in time that's relevant to what's going on now and what needs to be addressed now, uh, socially, economically. Um, I, so, I, I mean, I would recommend, you know, picking up some uh, books on the Harlem Renaissance and uh, a couple books on the progressive era or the progressive movement of the early 1900s. I think people would be surprised at, at how incredibly re- relevant that information is to everything that's going on now and everything that's going to be going on in the future, um, right down to language. Um, but yeah, I'm interested in what you think and what other people might think about that as well. So. Thank you so much for that, Derek. Yeah, those are, thank you so much for those suggestions. I didn't even think about the Harlem Renaissance. So that's a good one. Oh boy, I got the hiccups. Um, that's a good idea. I'll definitely check those out, but yeah, you're, you're right on the money. We have to keep looking at what they did in the past. Um, but thank you so much for calling in guys. That is the end of my segment today. Um, I'll be live again tonight at 8 PM Eastern standard time on my channel. And then, uh, I'll be on revolutionary blackout with JB at 6 PM Eastern standard time. So. Talk to you guys later and thank you so much for tuning in.